This is Xane Anderson, and welcome to another episode today of the Principal Podcast. Today, I am proud and thrilled to have Jeff Nelligan, who is the father of three boys and a well-known commentator in the world of American parenting. He has three boys who have attended the U.S. Naval Academy, Williams College, and West Point. And he has a book, uh, a recent book called Four Lessons from My Three Sons, How You Can Raise Resilient Kids. Jeff, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Hey, X, it's a pleasure and a privilege, my friend. You know, I, I really have enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better. And, and you, you talk about having resilient kids. Tell us a little bit about that. The, uh, I think I begin with the thought that, and we're adults, but there are kids that we have. And no one, kid or adult, gets a free ride in life. Everyone hits obstacles, everyone hits setbacks, everyone has trials. They can be major, they can be minor, but everyone hits them. And I, my belief is the key to ra raising a resilient kid, son or daughter, is that they are worked into these trials, that if they can handle one trial, that gives them the strength to handle the next one, which may be smaller or bigger, than the uh, current trial they're going through. And along with resilience is the idea of confidence because confidence gives you that, that resilience, that idea that there's an obstacle in front of me, I can get around it, I can get, get over it, but I can achieve success without inflated drama, without days long despair. That's awesome. How, how, how do you do that? Can you tell us some tips maybe you've used or how uh, other parents could help build confidence. Sure. Children. Uh, you know, we spoke earlier about what I, what I, <laughs> what I did to my sons when they were very young, the oldest was seven and the, the youngest was four. And we were in a mall, indoor mall. And I'd had this idea for a while and I pulled three $5 bills out of my pocket and I sit, handed one to each kid. And I said, go get the old man change for this five. It's not a race, just go and get the change from one of the stores that you see around us. And of course I kept an eye on them, but the idea was here was, a, here was a test, here was a task in which they were immediately involved. And so they, they marched off and went into stores. One kid struck out and had to go into another store, but they all came back with the five, with the five ones or some came, one came back with change, quarters, believe it or not. But the idea was they were excited that they had undertaken this brand new kind of experiment and pulled it off. And I did this change the five all the time. Everywhere practically we went in the, uh, in the real world as I like to call it. But then I graduated, I would say, okay, we're going to this restaurant, it's a carry out. You, and I'd point out the seven-year-old, memorize our order, here's the money for it, go in and get it and bring it out to the car and seven years old. And then it just kept graduating. We'd go to airports. I'd give the paperwork to one son, you know, eight years old, seven years old and say, go get our boarding passes. You can do it with a machine or you can do it at the counter, but you come back with the boarding passes. I'll be right here with, with your brothers. And so they, they became used to accomplishing these tasks in, a, in the real world, that is around strangers and people they don't know, around ex experiences they, they'd never had. 
and it just kept translating the older and older they got into being able to, you know, see a situation and kind of maneuver to figure it out what they needed to do. I love that. So you were actually giving them kind of little challenges, almost, you, you mentioned the word trials at the beginning, almost like a little trial at the beginning so that they can build that confidence. It's almost like they need to have these opportunities to figure it out so that they can become more confident in themselves. How, how was their, I mean, how did they react once they came back with the order, once they came back with the change? How, what was their uh, demeanor like, their expression? Their expression? Of, course they were, of course they were very excited. And I like your word challenges because that's exactly what they were. Um, they were challenges. You know, intention. It's it's not that we're trying to be mean. It's that we're trying to help them be confident, right? You know, I was right. I was I was thinking about this in conjunction of just an everyday an everyday thing. You know, if 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 my young child comes to me and asks me for say a peanut butter sandwich, and you know I could make a peanut butter sandwich in probably thirty seconds. I've had lots of practice, but what if instead of just doing it for her or him? What if I were to, to say, well, you know, what do you need to make a peanut butter sandwich? And they could say, well, I need some bread and some peanut butter, some jelly or jam, whatever. Do you know where it is? Let them get it. It's in the pantry. Right. Can you reach it? Well, I might need a stool. Okay, great. See if you can climb up there and get it. And it might take me uh, a little bit of time to just say, hey, why don't you see if you can figure it out and make a peanut butter sandwich and be there with them. And even though it might take 10 minutes or so to get a sandwich done, and it may not get done perfectly, there might be a little bit of a mess. The, the, the child is so more, much more confident when they've done that rather than if dad just did it for him or mom just did it for him. And so will, being willing to take the slow road at the beginning builds confidence. But later on, you don't have to make their peanut butter sandwiches because they know how to do it. So it actually saves a lot of time too, right? Right. And, you know, that, that's a, it's a great allegory there. And I mean, we used it a lot like that. Um, the kids did the laundry at eight years old. I said, here's the machine, here's the dryer. Now I'm going to show you. And the next time I send you in, you know, to the laundry room to do this, you know, if you have a scene, you call me, but this is how it's done. And this is your task. And so they, you know, seven-year-old, eight-year-olds doing laundry on a weekly basis for years, for months and years. And they didn't see it as a chore. It was just, this is what we have to do. And then you can translate it to almost the idea that when you're not around, they'll have the confidence in order to get through a tough situation. My youngest child at the age of five was in a mall for a big birthday party, which is very familiar with dads. You know, they go to the mall, the food court, and they go to the movies. Well, the parents they were with were totally disorganized and they had, they took along 15 kids and before they, then they suddenly, as my son told me later, they vanished into the movie theater, leaving my son and two other five-year-olds in the middle of a food court. And, you know, at first you can imagine the kids panic, just a total massive place, loud, you know, boisterous and three five-year-olds sitting there, not seeing anyone that they know. But aha, I told the guys before that, when we were at a college football game, I said, look, you guys are too small to be able to recognize faces. So just look for that person in the crowd if you get lost, that person who has a stripe running down their pants because it's either a policeman or a soldier. And you can go right up to them and say, 
sir, I'm, or ma'am, I'm lost, help. So my kid remembered that. And of course, he, he and the kids, he said, you guys look for someone that has a stripe on their pants. You know, at five years old, they, they might have been three and a half feet tall. And uh, about after a couple of minutes, they found someone with a stripe. It was the mall security guard. And of course, they hooked him up with the parents and all that. But that, that, that idea of being like having to go into a store to get change, that idea crowds didn't panic him. And he remembered what I told him. So that's a situation where you're not, the parent is not around, but the kid is still thinking hard enough to get himself out of a bind. Uh, I really, really, really like that thought. You know, also, you know, when you have these conversations with your children, you're basically unstate, you're basically saying, you know, you, you know, if we are separated, you're still going to be okay. Right. I mean, yeah. it's not the end of the world. You're kind of playing through what the best thing to do is. But the unspoken message is, you're going to be okay. You don't need to panic, right? It, it reminds me right. of something. I heard somebody say that the way a parent reacts to a situation really says a lot to a kid. So, for example, I heard somebody say, you know, let's say you're, you're running down the street and your, your child trips and skins their knee. So they got a little scrape or maybe even a little blood on the knee. Um, if a parent runs up and says, oh, my goodness, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Coochie, coochie, coo. I mean, are you the unspoken yeah. message is you're fragile, you know, right. and you're breakable and you might break because here I'm, I'm acting, I'm panicking. But on the other hand, if your parent is calm and say, you know, Hey, it looks like you skinned your knee a little bit there and it will probably hurt for a little bit. You're going to be okay. You know what the message, my, my demeanor, my, my body language has just told the child that, Hey, this is okay. And you're going to be okay. That way, when they skin their knee and I'm not around, that calm voice in their head right. and play through and say, this is okay. My dad was calm and he knew it was okay. But if I'm panicked and they're alone, they skin their knee, then they're oh. thinking I got to be panicky because my dad was right. Correct. No, you know, it's a, it's, you said the, the perfect word, calm model, calm. And in the second edition of the book, which is coming out in July, I related a story where, and it was in the first edition as well, where I was, we were down at the local high school throwing the football around, lacrosse ball, soccer. And at the end of the day, we, what we would do is we'd throw a few more passes, completions, and then we'd go home. And we'd go to get donuts, and then we'd go home. And so I was about to – we were the last play of the game and last play of the day. And I said, hey, guys, after I complete this pass to your brother, we'll go get those donuts. And my kid, the eldest kid's just in panic, says, Dad, you've just lost your job. He was right. I had just been fired because I was a political appointee and I was on a campaign where the, my guy was on the South side of the election results. And you could tell he was panicked. And I looked at him and I said, it's the end of the world, huh? And I said, have a seat in my office. And we sat down at the 50 yard line. And I said, look guys, it's not that big of a deal. I will get another job. I will rally. This is the way it's going to play out. And I said, if the day we can't afford to get donuts, you people will be the first to know. And it just deflated the drama balloon and the anxiety that these kids had seeing the dad was, you know, out of work. And they began picking up that phrase, unbeknownst to me and then, I, then known to me, about little, you know, aggravations or trials, like I to use the word earlier, that they were going through, you know, F on a test, arguments with a friend, 
uh, bad play on a field. Oh, it's the end of the world. It made them able to handle anything with just some kind of sense of calm that, hey, dad just said this about losing a job. And so I can say this about, well, I got a, I got a D on a test and I'll get over it. He got around it. I got employed again. I was employed again. But that idea of calm, just like you're saying with the example, the parent who goes nuts when the kid scrapes a knee, you know, um, you can't do that. If you show that panic, the kid is, the kid is going to, you know, is going to mirror that and have that kind of feeling every time something happens to him or her. I love that. And you have like you, the, the, the proof is in the, in the, in the result here, you have uh, three chill, three boys that have been, they're in the military. They've graduated from the U S Naval Academy. Like we talked about in Williams college and West point, but to have their dad, you know, have something, a major life thing happen, like losing your job and basically have yeah. the attitude that, Hey, we're going to get through this. That is a great modeling opportunity. So sometimes yeah. when we have challenges, <laughs> like that, right? Because, it, you know, at some point, if they lose their job, they can see, oh, my dad, my dad was calm and he, he knew he'd find a way to make it work. He'd find a way. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't the first it wasn't the last time I lost my job, because in sure. politics, it's a very erratic game. And it came up several years later, about five years later. And at that point, I said, hey, guys, you know, I got to find some work here. My guy just lost again in an election. I was working on national campaigns. And, you know, there was nothing. Okay, we, we, you did it before. You can do it again. And yeah. by the way, we're five years older, and we've been through a ton of stuff. And we've remained pretty calm. So that's just, that's, you know, that's the behavioral trait that existed there. I love that. And I think almost, you could almost, I like how you said it kind of jokingly, like it's the end of the world. Is that right? Yeah, I did. I said, yeah, it's the end of the world, guys, <laughs> you know. Just you, a little bit of humor, but calm, things are okay. It's the end of the world, but yeah. we're still gonna sit yeah. here on the 50 yard line and we're gonna have some, we're gonna have some donuts and, and things are okay, right? Right, and I'll tell you, two of my sons have been in some tight situations in the military and they've told me the minute the situation arose, that phrase came to their mind. At the end of the world, you know, ha, ha, ha. I will get through this too, you know? And these are serious situations. It's worse, a lot worse than having a, somebody lose a job. Right. So have, having that calm mindset, I'm sure, is a huge asset that you gave them as, as a father to these uh, military, you know, your children now, your sons who are in the military and having to deal with quite intense situations at least from time to time. Right. And I think all dads there are capable of it. All dads can sit back just like you say. I mean, I love that that's a you know, your your story about the kid scraping the knee. That's just that's basic and it's good. The parent who comes up really calm is that's the way to go and it's not that hard. It's not difficult at all to be calm. I think I, you know, I, I loved chatting with you prior to this podcast. And one of the things that it, that came, came up, you know, we talked about sometimes our children can surprise us with the things that they can do. And if we won't stand in their way, then they can have, I mean, I think we, I shared you a little story about, you know, my, my daughter came to me, she said, Hey dad, I want to hike this mountain. It's Mount Timpanogos, which is, you know, 11,700 feet in, in, 
tall mountain. It's quite a tall mountain in the area where I live. And she had, she'd asked me, she said, dad, can I hike this? And, and of course she's five years old, when she asked me this and I thought, you know, I don't, I don't think she can, I, I, I was really questioning whether she could make it, but I, I decided to give her a little bit of a, you know, well, are you sure you want to hike it? Yeah, I'm really sure. You know, you're probably going to have sore feet and we're going to have to hike all day long. Are you you're okay with doing that? And she said, I'm okay, dad. I said, well, what's going to happen when your feet start hurting? Well, we'll probably take a rest and keep going. I kind of walked her through what's going to happen. And I'll tell you, I was really surprised. Yeah. She made it to the top of this mountain. She had people high-fiving her all the way. And, and, and at the top, she got a standing ovation. And it surprised me. Here, here's my five-year-old daughter hiking to the top of this mountain that people fly in from out of state to do it. And I could have easily have just said, oh, you're too young. Now I'll take you later yeah. when you're older. And I think when our kids give us these signals, it's not that we, I like how you said it, when you were giving them the $5 bills, they knew and I knew there was a chance when we did this that maybe we wouldn't make it to the top. Maybe we, you know, it might be to the point where she got emotional. But to let her yeah, try. Right. And, and they knew that dad was there. And to know that, you know, if, if something crazy happens while I'm trying to get quarters or my dollars at the, the mall here, my dad's still there. But he has the faith in me to let me do it. So I must be okay. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I, I love that. I love that you do that with your children where you find these ways to help them be confident and you're doing it intentionally. You're thinking it through. I love that so much, Jeff. Yeah, you know, and it, it's, it's a credit to your daughter too. I mean, that she even has the idea of climbing to the top of that thing. You know, the idea that she can say it to the dad and the dad's not just going to say, X is just not going to say, you know, man, let's wait till you're about seven or eight. You know, you say, yeah, we're, we'll do it, you know, and, but if you give them, you need to give them those tests, as I say, because the tests you don't even know that they're going to encounter as the years go by are going to be much more severe. So you better prepare them now. I, one time they were, my kids went to a, when they were in middle school, they went to an all boys school with suits and t jackets and ties. And they had a sister school that was putting on a, uh, production of Pirates of Penzance, which they needed a ton of pirates. So they came to the boys' school and said, who wants to volunteer? When I heard about it, I said, oh, this is, this is great. You got to do this. And they said, no, you know, dad, it's, it's not something we're, you know, we've never been on a stage. And I said, well, look, it'll look great on your record. And they said, no. And I said, well, you know, you're in front of people, athletic contests and everything where half the people in the stands are screaming at you to fail, which are the other people, other kids' parents. And so they said, no. And I said, finally, I said, okay, here, look, you just go to the tryouts. Here's 10 bucks for each of you and just last 10 minutes. And if you don't like it, I'll be waiting outside. So I dropped them off that Saturday with 10 bucks each in their pockets and they walked through the doors and I drove away. And I came back at 12 at 12 o'clock when they were supposed to come out. And they said, you know, they got in the car and I said, oh, how'd it go? And they said, oh, Miss Cameron met us at the door and she gave us this pirate garb and she said she was counting on us. And we knew we couldn't let her down. And I said, great. And, and then the eldest said, besides, we knew you wouldn't stay. We knew this was a test. And we knew you wouldn't stay, so we we're going to do it because it's not wasn't that tough. Now maybe that's a little bit over the top, 
But the idea was at, one, at some point, the kids realize they're going to be a little bit on their own and dad's not going to be there. And if someone, if, if it's something as easy as that, that builds for when it really gets tough. That's um, right. So the idea is they're so accustomed to the tests that at the age of 12 and 11, they can say, we know he's not going to stay. We need to do this and we're going to do it. Man, I, I love that, Jeff. I love that. And isn't that from, if you zoom out even further, that thing that dad's not going to be there, isn't that kind of what we want to teach our kids anyway? I mean, we're trying to teach our oh, children. Yeah. The truth is someday, genuinely, I'm not going to be there. Someday I'm going to leave this world. I'm going to pass away. And I want my kids to feel like they can do stuff. They can be confident, even if I'm not there. And so yeah. these little tests yeah. that you do along the way to where the ultimate time is where at some point I'm not going to be there. And I, I mean, I hate to say that, but that's the truth. You know, at some point we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to die. And we want our kids to not need us. We want them to, to miss us, but we don't want them to need, need us. We want to be confident without us. Right. I I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's a great way to put it. At some point we're not going to be there. And it, it might not even be at the end of our life. It might be when they're 15 and they're in another city and they're nervous or, it might be when they're in the midst of a crowd of people and they know that something bad could happen and they realize what can I do quick? Like my kid at five looking for the guy with the stripes, right? You know, we'll ne- we're never going to always be there. And I wouldn't have pulled this stunt with the pirates of Penzance if they were young. I only pulled it after we had done enough, you know, countless times where they had been tested and you know knew what to do so and ultimately right someday dad's not going to be there mom's not going to be there boy you want that kid that is strong you know and can just take it that's what i and i love that and being intentional about it instead of saying out of fear i'm going to protect my kids maybe saying okay i'm going to give them age appropriate challenges age appropriate tests age appropriate confident things you know, I, I, I love that. One of the things that my wife does, and by the way, I've got to tell you, I've blown this plenty of times where I haven't done it the right way. I want to make sure people understand that like I've not done the right thing. I, a lot of times I don't do, I've, I've missed many an opportunity to make these things work, but I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to have a great, a great wife. And I, and one of the things we've done uh, too, to try to help our kids gain confidence is my, my wife is, uh, figured out how to get some roses from, from place, you know, a certain place at a, at a good price. And she, she'll have our kids go knock doors in the neighborhood and sell them for Valentine's day, you know, so they'll deliver it. it. That that gives them that sense of like, I can talk to a stranger. I can, I can, I can uh, deal with rejection. Not everyone's going to tell me yes. And that's okay. Survive. And also we can talk a little bit about business, you know, where do we need to price this? So it's worth, you know, and and so it's almost, they have their own little flower business during, during uh, Valentine's day time. And they enjoy delivering the flowers. And of course people like it, but it's, we do it so that they can develop that confidence and it's okay to talk to a stranger. And of course my wife usually is standing, you know, within two or three houses in case something went wrong, but you you know what I'm saying? Um, I do. I do. Yeah, boy, that is a great test too. I mean, again, 
you know, that sudden interaction with a stranger and being able to, you know, as I, as one part of the book is called read the crowd, that is to see the situation you're in and know exactly what you need to do. In the case of your, your kids, it's, I've got these roses. This is a stranger. This is a financial thing. It's also a personality thing. And, you know, I'm going to close with this, you know, I'm going to close with this deal. So I think it's a great one. Wow. Right. Now you and your, I think you've, this book sounds so interesting. This, how to build resilience kids. Let me ask you this. You, you mentioned somewhere in here about like pandemic lockdowns and how that may have not been the best thing for our children. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, That the pandemic, um, piece that was a, a book I wrote as, as kind of a sequel to four lessons it was called your kids rebound from pandemic lockdowns a parent guide to restoring their families the lockdowns you know started about March 17th 2020 and immediately into it as a parent but just as you know a guy a professional who has a job at FDA no less and in the community and the neighborhood, I realized this is going to just damage kids because you can't have kids looking at a screen for school. They need other kids around them, even more so than adults. And the idea of shutting off all extracurricular activities and shuttering malls and parks and places where they would go, rec centers, no more leagues, no more games, these kids were going to go nuts. And so early on, I, I was, I was just dismayed by the the errors made by our government, unfortunately. And so I wrote this book in December of last year and published it. And it has three basic components. It was the mental health uh, damages to kids who were in isolation and confinement. The absolute addiction to screens, which had been before was bad, but now is just a cataclysmic. And third of all, the physical health, that is just kids not getting enough exercise and eating because food was always available. And so that was the the point of the book. And it's not, you know, X, we have, we have dads listening, moms listening. It wasn't some parents um, primal scream of anecdotes about how bad this was. There's over 300 sites in the books to medical and psychological literature, as well as national surveys and studies conducted by various major hospital groups, including Cleveland Clinic, Johns Hopkins, MD Anderson, University of California, San Francisco. This is an empirical work and all to show that the lockdowns hurt. The second part of the book is the solutions to all three of those problems, as I see them, of course, a dad. Um, the, the screen addiction, the confidence um, dissolution, as well as the physical deterioration. And so that's what that book is. Um, the two sections dealing with the problem and then possibly the answers. I love that. You know, we have this, as you say this, you know, as fathers, I think we feel this dual mandate, this mandate we you know, I, I feel as a father, it's my job to protect my children. And really, it is my job. I mean, my job, part of my job as a dad is to protect my kids. 
But then on the other side of that, I have this, this mandate to build confidence with them. And there's this, this kind of fine line. Like, you know, if somebody comes in my house, who's not supposed to be there is trying to harm my family, man, my job's to protect my family. Right. And at the same time, um, how do I build confidence in my kids? And, and in some ways, like you said, you have to be, I, I, I told my wife, cause I was so impressed of your, 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 your idea of giving them five bucks and having to go get change. Right. Where I'm letting them venture out without me, right. Right. still protecting them, still protecting them, still there. You know, I can see what's going on, but how can I build that confidence? And so it's kind of like, I need, I, I have to let the protective barriers go a little bit wisely, as you said, where I can build the, these experiences, these challenges, as you call them tests, where they can get more and more confident as they go. Um, I think, I think the number one idea of protection for kids today, and I, as I said, I'll preface this by saying, I helped raise three sons. I've been in in every venue that is known to the American parent under the sun for 25 years. The biggest protection that kids need today from parents is social media, it's screens, it's tablets, it's phones, it's computers, it's video games. That's the protection that is most needed at this time. Because for example, in the book, the average team between the ages of 10 and 18 spends eight hours and 49 minutes on a screen. That is a phone, a tablet, a computer, and that's not including schoolwork. Now, eight hours and 49 minutes on a screen. Number one, that's more than you. the kid is going to sleep. That's more than he's going to put into school, he or she. And the other thing is, where is the parent? if a kid has got a phone in his hand, eight hours and 49 minutes a day. So- And unfortunately, I, a lot of parents are on their screens eight hours and 49 minutes or more per day. Precisely. And that example. Right, and that, so I, I think the, the internet today is full of a lot of vile stuff. And I, I'm not, I don't have to be some caveman to say this. There's plenty of studies out there. They're cited in the book, there's two, two leading authors on this subject, Dr. Jonathan Haidt and Dr. Gene Twenge, who have been writing about social media since 2005 and its effects on kids, particularly girls. But the more a kid is sucked into that world, if it's messaging, if it's Instagram, if it's TikTok, if it's YouTube binging, the less that kid is gonna have, have be confident, the less healthy their mental health is gonna be and they will swell in size. So when you talk about protecting a kid, that was always my biggest fear. Those kids didn't get a phone until they were at the end of 11th grade. They got one hour a week of video games. It had to be on a Saturday and just conveniently, everything that they did athletically was on a Saturday. So they never even got to that. Um, We didn't, our TV, was non-existent. We had a TV finally in about 10th grade and we didn't have cable. So I kept them away from everything that I thought was an increasingly large swamp. And it seemed to work out pretty well. That's um, great. And, and even if you had to be the mean quote unquote dad and say, you know what? <laughs> Sorry, we're not gonna have a cell phone. 
it's not mean to protect your kids from Correct. something harmful right now. Eventually right. they need to learn how to deal with that, but it's not when they're, I mean, you as, as parents will be able to know it's okay to say, I'm going to have some pretty strict parental controls once we give you a phone and we'll ease into it, see how it goes. That's not yes. being mean. That's being a good protective dad. Now. Yes. Well, I will say too, um, that dads and moms want to protect their kids. And when you do so, you always realize I'm the parent and you're the kid. We're not going to negotiate on some things. This is not, we're not equal partners here. I'm 35 or 40 years old and you're six. So it's going to be my way on certain things. Other things we'll negotiate. Yeah. When you have to mow the lawn or how much homework you have to do or whatever. But certain areas you can't negotiate. There are ways right. for parents today, dads, to mitigate against this. And what I in the book, there are four examples of what I call a social media contract. It's in the appendix, one of the appendices. And, and it's this a contract, is in your book, The Four not, Lessons from My Three Sons, How Do You Can Raise Resilient Kids. It's in that. Wonderful. No, it's in um, Rebound, Your oh. Kids Rebound from Pandemic Lockdowns. Excuse me. Yes. But there are four examples of screen, screen contracts that parents can sign with their kids that have everything to do with the amount of time spent on the day, when the phone goes off, what kind of sites can be watched. I mean, there are now site, there are now electronic there's electronic equipment that you can buy, purchase through the internet, of course, uh, that will limit what can get into your house in terms of websites, what can get onto any platform that you have, computer, tablet, or phone. And the contract, there's four examples, because every family is different, about how you can just, this is what we're going to do with the phones. You can't pull that car out, that phone out if we're in the car together, you know? You're not going to pull that phone out if you're around someone else. Uh, your hours are two hours a day. Um, it's not, you're not turning the phone on after 6 p.m. and not until 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. You're not taking it to school. Here's the contract. If you abide by it, this is what you have. If you don't, these are the penalties. So it's a way of kind of uh, putting in formal fashion a way to protect, I'll go back to your word, protect your kid from the internet. I like that. I know it's, and it sounds kind of harsh, you know, but um, the, again, I, I said at the beginning, there's no nuance with me. There's no, there's no filters. If parents well, are serious about getting their kids back, that this is the way it's going to have to be done. Well, and I don't think, I don't think any parent would say it's harsh. You know, if my, if, right. if, I, if yeah. I have a toddler who says, dad, I want to go play in the, on the freeway. Okay. Yeah. And I very firmly put, say to him, yeah. you know what? It's not going to happen. And I'll tell you why yeah. it's not going to happen. It's because I don't want to, you don't understand as a three-year-old that there are trucks that can crush your body and kill you. And, and so as a dad, me setting that boundary is actually yeah. very, very kind. And you see, there are emotional, there's spiritual, there's mental trucks in, on the internet that can run over people. And for me no to question. say, hey, we're not going to play on that freeway, so to speak, is not, no. in fact, it's a loving parent that says, 
we have some boundaries to this, right? Right. And I, I like the way you, the freeway analogy again is great. Just like the skin knee, you know, that's what I'm saying. There's no negotiation. I'm not going to negotiate you getting on the freeway. Okay. It's just simple. And the kid can be three or can be four or can be 14. When my son said, well, you know, all my other friends have phones. I said, that's yeah, great no. for them. Good. Oh, I'm, I'm right. happy. You're not, <laughs> you know? Um, and, you know, I, I'll joke about them today, you know, after they all graduated um, from school and entered the service as officers, I said, you know, hey, your friends still have phones and now you do too. So guess what? I guess there wasn't that much damage lost, you know? I guess you, you caught up with them. And they just, you know, it's just, of course they, you know, they rag me, but that's what being a dad is all about. But that many years removed, I can say that to say, look, I was right, okay? That's why you've done all this thus far. One reason you've and, done it, and, so. And they'll know as an adult, how important it is to put that it's okay to set those boundaries. I've got to tell you one other thing that occurred to me while we were talking here. They, I've heard it said that sometimes when you're growing up, it, it's almost like, you know, if you can imagine someone in a dark cave and they're trying to feel around, trying to figure their way in around this cave and they push up against a wall and they're like, okay, I found a wall here. And if they push on the wall and it starts to crumble, does that make them feel more secure or less secure? <laughs> well, I would say less secure, right? I mean, somebody pushes on the yeah. wall and it crumbles. Yes. And, and as a parent, if you say, look, here's a boundary. Like, this is the boundary. We're not playing on the freeway as a three-year-old yeah. in, in the middle of the road. It's not happening. Well, if, if, if there's with any boundary, if, 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 you know, as a parent, our job is to set healthy, good boundaries. And our kids' job is to push against them. And if we cave because we want to be popular, because right. we want to fit in, it actually makes them feel less secure because they're like, oh, wait, I can push and this wall isn't steady. It's not something I can rely on. It is okay to set a boundary and be firm, even if you're not popular with your kid at that moment, even oh, if yeah. they don't like you yeah. and they may not like you, they're still not playing on the freeway. As a three, I'm just not letting it happen. Yeah. And they can say, they can say, Dad, you're mean, and I can't believe you won't let me do what I want, and blah, 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 blah. But really, deep down inside, they know they can count on me because they feel right. I'm not crumbling. And yeah. I'm solid and I'm something they can push against. And that's a good thing. Oh, yeah. No, you're exactly right. And plus, you know, you know, being a parent is not a popularity contrast contest right some parents think it is these days right it's i know oh, i've talked to parents and they say you know my kid is my best friend or my kid is my friend and i i know that they mean well i really do as i said i have been around parents for 25 years in everything but and if they ask me i would say no my my kid's not my friend he's my son and i have different rules and different feelings for him than I do for all my friends. And that means sometimes I have to put those bounds, your word, those boundaries up, and they are brick. There's nothing getting through them. And for example, the, so the, the, the iPhone and the internet and all that, that was one of those boundaries, you know? So I, I completely hear you on that. You know, the popularity contest 
I don't want, I don't want to win that with a kid. <laughs> I don't want to be popular. I want to be the dad. Big difference. I, I love that. Tell us a little, this is, Jeff, this has been such a good conversation, but tell us a little bit about these four lessons. Can you summarize without giving your book away? Sure. Four sure. lessons for my three sons. Can you give a little bit of a, of a hint of what those four lessons might be? Sure. It's, it's, it's a very short book. It's 65 pages and can be read in about 45 minutes. And there are just four lessons. Personal conduct. Always show up on time. Follow through on jobs. Always have a sense of where you are in terms of everything around you. The second one is confidence. You know, I love seeing my kids in a tight situation sometimes because I thought, how are they going to get out of this? And they do. They always will. It may not be the best success, but it there always will. The third is the resilience factor. And that is the idea that when you do hit that wall, like I said at the beginning, no one gets a free ride. There are always trials and setbacks that are grievous. Is not to not to collapse, to take a, a deep breath, you know, and not lie to yourself and not whine but to say, okay, how can I make any bit of progress forward now that I've hit this wall? And the fourth one is ambition. I wanted my kids to have this wide, vast ambition. And one of the stories in the book is, I, we drive around office buildings and all of our times in the car to games and school stuff and everything. I live in Washington, DC. And we would look at these buildings and I thought, here's a morality play for them right here. I said, you see all these buildings? I wanna tell you a secret about them. I said. All in these buildings are guys sitting up in their office in their cube with a Redskins coffee mug next to them that you made me in second grade and a picture of the family on the wall. And all of them were going to be somebody. All of them had a, you know, a, had a great career ahead of them. They were going to be a jet pilot or an entrepreneur or own a restaurant or sail around the world. I said, but no, they're sitting in these offices. I said, let me tell you something, I'm one of those guys and you need to reach further than I did. And of course, you know, when, I, when that came out, there was just silence, but it's the idea that the parent, the kid always respects the candid parent. I wanted these kids to get farther than I did, just like I got farther than my father and he farther than his father. So the ambition is the, the, the last kind of theme in the book, the, you know, the, the lesson that they um, that they learned from me, and yeah, I. That's the other thing. In that book, I take shots at myself. I don't have all the answers. When I'm wrong, I will definitely confess it. But in this that's one, okay I to admit. I think it's okay, like right. you said, you to say, you know what? This is my first time being a dad. I might blow it sometimes. I'm trying. <laughs> you know? Right. You, you don't want to be that guy sitting in that office building like your old man. You know, answering emails and you know getting on Zoom calls and doing urgent documents. You need to go farther, much farther than I got. And that's powerful. But it also sets me up as the guy that is completely honest and candid with them. And they appreciated it. Such good, it's such good advice. I really appreciate you sharing this. I, I, I wanna backtrack just for one more minute. Um, sure. For something you said about screens that came to mind. My my father, one of the one of the greatest things he did, and I don't, you might disagree with how he did it, but he when he when he was young, he said, "You know what? If you decide not to watch TV for an entire year, I'll pay you two hundred bucks." 
And so he kind of bribed us. Okay. He said, I'll pay no, you know, yeah, sure. 200 bucks for a, for a six-year-old kid, you know, and by the way, we had to, you know, uh, save a bunch of it. So we actually ended up with, you know, maybe 60 bucks at the end of the year, but it was something like, you know, here's, he did that for years and years. He'd pay us 200 bucks a year not to watch TV. And I think it was one of the most genius things he did. You know, it was, it is. Uh, he, you know, my, I had, I had, you know, a brother that went to Harvard. I had a sister who got just about every scholarship you could get. All of these things happen in, in, you know, as dads, I think we really need to realize we are the CEOs of our children's yeah. education. And when I say CEOs, what I mean is we don't just pawn it off to the nearest government run school. We may decide to send our kids there. We might just send them to a charter school. We may decide to homeschool. Yeah. We may decide to, uh, to send to a private school. We may decide to do a hybrid or get a piano teacher or karate teacher or something like that. But the reality is as dads, it, the, it falls on us and that's an yes. opportunity. It's a burden, but it's also a huge opportunity to shape lives in ways that no one else can. And I would appreciate my dad realizing, you know, I'm not going to just let this steady stream of who right. knows what into the, into the sacred boundaries of my home, advertising vile things, messages yes. that were helpful, things that were not yeah. what my dad wanted to teach. He said, let's just shut it off and I'll reward you and pay you 200 bucks to do it. And I thought, what, what a genius idea, you know? It, absolute genius idea. I mean, like I said, I was bribing my kids to go into that Pirates of Penzance thing. But TV for a year for 200 bucks, oh my gosh, you know, today's dollars, that's 2000 It'd be the best investment ever made. Your dad really was ahead of his time. And I'm not joking. I mean it. Yeah. You know, Jeff, it has been an absolute uh, pleasure to have you on here. How can people get a hold of you? They want to get a hold of you. Um, get your book. Is your yeah. book available? For, tell us about your book first, and how can we get a hold of you? Sure. Four Lessons from My Three Sons, How You Can Raise a Resilient Kid is available on Amazon. Just go to Nelligan. Also the book, Your Kids Rebound from Pandemic Lockdowns, which I think is of particular importance in these days as we emerge from that, that disaster. Um, my website is www.nelliganbooks.com. And I can always be reached at jeff at resilientsons.com. That's my email address. What a great email address, resilientsons.com, nelliganbooks.com. Yeah. For those of you listening, we'll put this these uh, links in the show notes so you can go and find Jeff. Jeff, thank you again for being on the show. Is there any My last pleasure? If there any, is there any last one piece of advice that you would leave to to dads or or parents who want to have resilient children and confident children? Any last piece of advice? I would say just just when you told me about your daughter. Test your kids every day in experiences that they're not used to, in which they are out in the real world dealing with all the strangers and all the people they know and doing things they never would have conceived of doing. That's the best way to build that kid because that confidence will flow from every experience that you give them. Jeff, yeah, thank you for that. Feel free to reach out to Jeff. We'll have his uh, contact information in the show notes. And thank you, Jeff. Jeff Nelligan, thank you again for being here with us on the Principal Podcast today. Thank you very much there, X.